It's good to see each of you here tonight. We are very grateful for your presence. We have a little bit of a change in plans tonight. First and foremost, Kenton wasn't feeling well, and so I told him I would handle things, and so just to let you know he wasn't feeling very well, he said maybe it was something he ate, and so hopefully and prayerfully he'll get to feeling better in a minute. He said he would get Jared to read the scripture, but I said don't worry, I'll handle it. I didn't know Jared was right behind me, or I could have done that. Uh, the second thing is, uh, there is a change in the lesson plan, and I apologize to Billy and to those of you who are here tonight. Typically, Billy and I, as a matter of fact, we always work together and try to coordinate the sermon and the song service together, and I really believe that that helps our worship to, well, it really ties our worship together, and hopefully and prayerfully it, it hopefully and prayerfully it impresses upon us the importance of, of what we're doing and what we're saying. And tonight we're going to be looking at Matthew 16. The lesson that I had planned to present, I have actually put on the back burner for another week or two. I want to go back and refine a couple of things and maybe break it down. I may have too much material there to try to present in one lesson, but anyway, I'm going to step back and do some things differently, and then we will look at that lesson together because I do want us to to have a series of lessons on worship. I think it's very important. Tonight I want us to look at Matthew 16, verses 24 through 27. I want us to think about, for the next few minutes, the importance of making Christ the focal point of life. And really what we're, what we're trying to emphasize is the importance of making Jesus Christ the summation of life making him the centerpiece, the hub, if you please, of life. Sometimes it's difficult for us to maintain a sense of balance, particularly as it relates to Christianity. And so when you look at Matthew chapter 16, you'll find that Jesus Christ is to be everything to us. And so I want us to look at verses 24 through 27. I want us to begin by noting together the importance of surrendering our lives to Christ. And then we're going to look in the second place of our security in Christ. But first we think about surrendering ourselves to Christ. And I guess the first thing that we need to ask, what's it going to cost? What will it cost to surrender your life to Jesus Christ? I want you to listen to what Jesus said beginning in verse 24. Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. When you look at what Jesus has to say here, I think that to put it in very plain terms as we ask the question, what's it going to cost? The response is everything. If you're going to serve Jesus Christ, it's going to cost you everything. It may even cost you your physical life. And that's what Jesus is saying in verse 26. When we go back and look, historically speaking, to the first century. 
we find that there was bitter persecution directed toward those who were followers of Christ, toward those who claimed to be disciples of Jesus. Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, talked about the fact that those who would follow him would face persecution. He said, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Some, no doubt, died for their faith. And we can go back and we can look at history. We think about the Apostle Paul and others, James, the brother of John, who literally lost their lives for the cause of Christ. Now, when we ask the question, what's it gonna cost us to serve the Lord? When we talk about surrendering all to the Lord, it's gonna cost us everything. Jesus would say in Luke chapter 14, verse 26, if any man comes to me and loves not or hates not mother, father, brother, sister, wife and children, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Jesus here is saying that we have to put him first in life if we're gonna be acceptable to him. In that same context, Jesus talks about counting the cost. I think one of the reasons why sometimes individuals are not faithful to the Lord for the duration of life is because they haven't stepped back and counted the cost. What's it gonna to cost to be a child of God? What's it gonna to cost to be a follower of the Lord? It's gonna cost you everything. Jesus was very transparent in, in talking about the cost of discipleship. Jesus said, if any man, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. The idea of self-denial. We live in a day and time when people want to be served, when they want individuals to cater to their interest. And yet Jesus is saying, if you want to be a follower of me, what you have to do is learn to serve. It's not about being served, rather it's about serving. And we begin by serving the Lord Jesus Christ. And I would, I would point out that when we talk about the cost of serving the Lord, it's going to cost us our affections. Jesus said we're to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, and mind. That means we are to love him supremely. Jesus said we are to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness in Matthew 6, so he is to be what? The summation of life. That's the cost. But then, as we think about the cost, let me, let me call to mind the importance of the commitment. There's a commitment involved in Christianity. And again, we talk about people that sometimes misunderstand the nature of Christianity. They misunderstand the importance of what it means to be committed. When, when you think of the word commitment, what comes to, what comes to your mind? We, we, we talk about people who are committed to a cause. There are some folks, they are die hard when it comes to their political party. There are other people that are die hard fans of a certain football team. Well, what does it mean to be committed to Christianity, to be committed to the Lord? Well, First and foremost, we look at the cost involved and then we begin to commit ourselves to some principles. Let me just cite for you some things that we must be committed to. Number one, we have to be committed to a person. The person that we are committing to is Jesus. Jesus said, if anyone desires to come after me, when you signed on to Christianity, you became a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
when you signed on to, to become a child of God, you were saying, in essence, I am going to be a follower of the Lord Jesus. Now, look at the New Testament and think about individuals, think about individuals who were wholly dedicated to one person, that being Jesus. I think about the life of the Apostle Paul. When you look at the life of Paul, you see an individual who, who literally lived for Christ. As a matter of fact, here's what he said. For to me to live is Christ. Jesus was the focal point of his life. He was committed to a person. Sometimes it's, sometimes it's sad to note that there are individuals who are followers of preachers. I remember hearing a professor say on one occasion that, and he was talking to those of us who were preachers, he said that when you go and preach for a congregation, when you, when you make the decision to leave or if the elders ask you to leave, he said, if you leave and take people with you, you didn't do your job. He's exactly right. Those of us who belong to the church here at Olive Branch, we're not followers of a single person other than Jesus Christ. He's the one we're following. You're not following me. The youth group is not following Jared. We're, we're following the Lord Jesus Christ. If we're not following the Lord, then something's wrong. Think about it this way. We're human beings. I make mistakes. All of us have clay feet. And so if we put a preacher, an elder, a deacon, or somebody else on a pedestal and we say, that's who we're following, what happens, what happens if, they make, if they make a mistake? What happens if, if they are our, our ideal and then after close examination, they don't live up to that ideal? What happens then? Well, the casualty sometimes is our faith. And so we have to be committed to a person. That person is Jesus Christ. When Paul wrote to the saints of Galatia, he said, I have been crucified with Christ. And he said, the life that I now live in the flesh, I live in faith. He said, it's no longer I that live, but Christ who lives in me. Now we talk about Paul, his preaching, his teaching, the focal point of his life. You remember what Paul said on one occasion? He said, we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus our Lord, and ourselves as your servants for his sake. Paul was intent on pointing people to Jesus. He was intent on people following the Son of God. That's what we're about. And so I think first and foremost as we think about commitment. We have to be committed to a person. And I would encourage you to be committed to a person. That person is Jesus Christ. Secondly, we need to be committed to a purpose. What's your life all about? What is life all about? Life ought to be about living for the Lord. It ought to be about bringing honor and glory to God. Here's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. He said, therefore, whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Where is God glorified? He's glorified in the church. 
Those of us who belong to the body of Christ, we are to live in such a way so that we bring honor and glory to the Lord. In Ephesians 3.21, Paul said, Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus. What a blessing to live a life that glorifies God the Father. Jesus said, let your light so shine before men so that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Now, how does that work in a practical way? Sometimes I think that we lose sight of the fact that every Christian can live in such a way to bring honor and glory to God. Are you a faithful wife? Then you're glorifying God. Are you a faithful husband? Are you a faithful mother or father? Then live in such a way so that you glorify Almighty God. Think about your job. You go to work every day. You conduct yourself in a Christ-like way. You put in an honest day's work. You get an honest day's pay. Can you not do that to the glory of Almighty God? Absolutely. When you're out serving in the community, when you're serving the Lord Jesus Christ by ministering to other people when they don't have something to eat, when they don't have something to drink or wear, when they don't have a place to stay, can you not do that to the glory of God? The question really answers itself because the answer is a resounding yes. We live in such a way so that we bring honor and glory to Almighty God. And then there is a third thing, and that is we need to be committed to a plea. What is our plea? Our plea is to point people in the direction of whom? Jesus Christ. Now I think about the church here. The church here has been blessed in many, many ways. We have seen large numbers of people come and place membership. We've seen a number of people that have been baptized into Christ like Gibson today, and we're grateful for that. But please hear me very carefully. We're not done. We haven't reached the mountaintop yet. There's still a lot of work to do. Now I think about the plea that we have. Look at, look at the apostles back in Acts chapter 5. The apostles were constantly doing what? Preaching and teaching, weren't they? Why were they doing that? Because they had a message to share with the lost and dying world. Is that not our plea today? We talk about being committed to a plea. Think, think for a moment about what Christianity means to you. If Christianity means everything to you, if Jesus is your everything, don't you think that you ought to be sharing that message with others? Don't you think you ought to be talking to somebody about the Lord? Sharing the gospel in Acts chapter 5, the apostles were beaten for preaching and teaching the Son of God. And you know what Luke said about those men? Daily in the temple and from house to house, they cease not to teach and preach Jesus as the Christ. What were they doing? Publicly, they were preaching and teaching the word. Privately, they were preaching and teaching the word. Does it not stand to reason that you and I can do the same? Should we not be doing the same? We have the greatest message known to man. It's amazing to me, I saw the other day on the internet, the amount of money that the President of the United States has in reserve right now for his political campaign. 
millions upon millions of dollars. And there are people that are diehard politicians and they believe that their political party is the party that you need to be a part of, whether Democrat or Republican. And so they are avid in, in, in following politics. And they want to share their message, they want to share their candidate with everybody they come in contact with. Let me tell you what, there's not a candidate on earth that can rival Jesus Christ. There is not a candidate on this earth that can change the complexion of our country like Jesus Christ can. Look at the home. We talk about the home and the problems in the home. The divorce, the soaring rates of divorce. One out of two marriages today end in divorce. And do not think for a minute, divorce is not a problem in the church. We talk about young people that are growing up in single family homes. Now, I understand that there are circumstances sometimes beyond our control. And sometimes we are, we are left as a single parent to raise a child or children. And we do our best and we are grateful for people that step up to the plate and do their best. But look at some of the young people in our country today. They have problems with, they have problems with alcohol. They have problems with drugs. They have problems with crime. Just the other day in Memphis, a young person was shot at a basketball game. Can you believe that? We've got young people carrying weapons every day. What's wrong with our country? And you mean to tell me some political party is going to change the, the landscape of this nation? Not a chance. Not a chance. Now they may improve some things, but the bottom line is the only thing that's going to change this country for the better is Jesus Christ. That's the message we have to sell. Look at advertisers today. When I was growing up, just about every, every commercial was by Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola has become such a well-known product that we use the name Coke for every type of soft drink. They have marketed that product so well that it has become synonymous with beverages. Well, what about the gospel? We have the gospel of Christ. We have the greatest message known to man and we keep it to ourselves. We live in a, we live in a country that is on a spiral our country is out of control. It is upside down. There are problems that we have left and right. And bless our hearts, we wonder what in the world are we going to do. Let me tell you what we need to do. We need to get back to this book that we call the Bible. We need to become people who are committed to a plea. That plea is New Testament Christianity. Sharing the gospel with a lost and dying world. Solomon said, righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach unto any people. Can we not see that? Can we not see the importance of sharing the gospel with our friends, our neighbors, our family members, our co-workers, our classmates? The gospel is a message that has to be conveyed from person to person. You and I, we have been blessed to be Christians. And hopefully and prayerfully, we are sharing that message with others.
And then there is one final thing that I would say. We need to be committed to a place. The place that I'm talking about is heaven. Do you want to go to heaven? I would imagine all of us here tonight want to go to heaven. The question is, do we live like we want to go to heaven? Can we like Joshua of old say, as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. Are we on the road to heaven? When Paul wrote to the church at Philippi, he talked about some who were minding earthly things. And then he said, in contrast to that, but our citizenship is in heaven. Whence also we wait for a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. You and I, we need, we need, to, we need to long for heaven. We need to desire to go to heaven. We need to live in such a way so that one day heaven will be our home. All of the songs that we sing about heaven, every passage in the New Testament that we read about heaven ought to be meaningful to us. We ought to be committed to that place called heaven. When you talk about things that are important to you, when you talk about something that you want more than anything else, you know what ought to be at the top of your list? It ought to be heaven. The Bible talks about those great patriarchs of the past who look for a city whose builder and maker is God. Are you looking for heaven? Are you longing for heaven? Are you living for heaven? If you're not, then I hope you will surrender all to Christ Jesus. There's a second thing I want to call your attention to in our study tonight. We talk about surrendering our lives for Christ, and then the security of living for Christ. Now, I said a moment ago that in the first century, there were some people that were casualties for the cause of Christ. James, the brother of John, was put to death by Herod. He was killed by the sword. Historians say that the apostle Paul was beheaded for his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Historians indicate that the apostle Peter was crucified upside down for his faith in the Lord. There were a lot of people in the first century that died for the cause they believed in. And yet I believe there is security because Jesus said whoever desires to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. I think what Jesus was saying there equates to Revelation chapter 2, verse 10, when he said, Be thou faithful unto death. In other words, be faithful even in the face of death. The promise is the crown of life. But I want you to think with me, first of all, about the caution. Listen to what Jesus says in verse 26. What is a man profited if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? What will a man give in exchange for his soul? How much do you value your soul? If someone were to, to ask you tonight, today, this week, next week, next month, next year, whatever the case may be, if somebody were to ask you, tell me, how much do you value your soul? What would you say? 
How much is your soul worth to you? Your soul ought to be worth everything to you. There is something within you that will live forever. And I think what Jesus is saying here is, do not let the world fool you. Did you know that the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, identified Satan as the God of this world? Satan, as the God of this world, uses various devices or tactics to do what? To circumvent our faith. To literally pull the rug out from under us. Here we are, we're trying to live a Christian life. We're trying to do what's, what's right. We have said that we're going to surrender all to Jesus and then what happens? The devil comes calling. And the devil con continually, constantly works on us. And the devil is using the devices of the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. He's hammering away daily at our faith. And Jesus is saying, don't sell out to the devil. Don't lose your soul for the temporary transitory things of this life. There are a lot of people that have yielded their lives to the devil. Let me give you an example, Demas. When Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10, he said, for Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. Demas at one time had been a fellow laborer of the apostle Paul. When he wrote to Philemon in AD 62, guess what? Demas was a faithful child of God. When he wrote to the Colossians, that is, those people who lived in the city of Colossae. Here we have Demas, a faithful child of God. Six years later, what's happened? Something has happened to the faith of Demas. Demas has abandoned the Lord. He's abandoned the church. He's abandoned the apostle because of the world. The world is constantly chipping away at our faith. Now, I think about our young people. The world is constantly telling our young people, you need to try this. You need to do this. You need to live this way. You need to act this way. You need to talk like this. The world, by means of the devil, is saying there's a better way to live. Is that, is that not true? Does the devil not tell our young people as well as those of us who are older there's a better way than Christianity? I mean, why would you want to buy into something that has laws govern, governing your life? Why would you want to buy into Christianity when you can live any way you want, when you can do what you want? You don't have to worry about living in conformity to the law of Christ. I mean, after all, you're young, do what you want to do. As we get older in life, why, why submit to the teaching of Christ? Just do what you want to do. There are a lot of people in our world today, they bought into that lifestyle. There are a lot of people in the church, believe it or not, they bought into that way of thinking. Here's what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 27. Paul said, neither give place to the devil. Paul was saying, don't you let the devil get a foothold in your life. Can the devil do that? Absolutely. You crack the door and guess what? He's coming right in. 
A lot of advertisers, they understand the appeal of the world. There are a lot of young folks in our world today. There are a lot of people in our world today. They don't think you can have a good time in life without having some type of alcoholic beverage in your hand. There are a lot of folks in our world today, they bought into the idea that you can't really enjoy life if you're going to, if you're going to say no to certain types of drugs like marijuana, meth, cocaine, speed, prescription drugs, and then there are a number of other people that would tell young people as well as old, older people, why, why would you want to live a sexually pure life? I mean, after all, we're living in the 21st century. I mean, don't you know that that way of life is outdated, old-fashioned? It's narrow-minded? Don't you know that you have a body? God, God doesn't expect you to remain chaste. Paul, when he wrote to the church at Thessalonica, said this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you abstain from fornication. There are a lot of people in our world today, they have bought into the world. And as a result of that, they're going to forfeit their soul. And what Jesus is saying here is this, don't sell out. Don't sell your soul to the devil. James said, resist the devil and he will flee from you. So we have, to, we have to dig in. And I think here Jesus is simply setting forth a word of caution. But then I want you to think about the crown. Look at verse 27. In verse 27, Jesus said, the son of man will come in the glory, in the glory of his father with his angels and then he will reward each according to his works. Here's the bottom line. Whether we like it or not, one day God is going to call all of us into the judgment. Paul said, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us shall give an account of himself to God. We'll all be there. Go all the way back to the beginning of creation. Look at Adam and Eve. Guess what? They're going to be there. Cain and Abel, they'll be there. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Judah, Joseph, David, Samuel, the prophets of old. And then just move forward in time. And you know what you have? You have a lot of people at the judgment. I have had the opportunity to be in the presence of a lot of people. Some of us have attended football games where there have been 80, 90, 100,000 people present. That's nothing in comparison to the judgment. One day we're going to stand before Almighty God. And we ask the question, why, why is Christianity so important? Why is it important that I commit my life to the Lord? Why is it important that I surrender all to Jesus? Let me tell you what, why it's so important. Because when Jesus comes, if you are not his, you don't have one prayer you don't have one hope. 
Sometimes we read passages of Scripture and we read through them in such a hurry that the words never sink in. When Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians 2 at verse 12, he talked about those who were outside a covenant relationship with the Lord. And here's what he said. Here's their state. He said they are without hope. There are some of us that have had friends and family members that have been diagnosed with a terminal disease. And we know what it means to look at somebody as they say eyeball to eyeball and know that we are talking to somebody who is about to step out into eternity. Why? Because they do not have any hope. They're dying. And there is nothing they can do about it. They have a type of cancer. They have some type of disease that is literally eating them up. They are beyond hope. Now we can understand that in the physical realm. But but do we understand what it means to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ And Jesus said in John chapter 5, verse 27, that God the Father has given him authority to execute judgment. Do we understand what it means to stand before God the Father, Jesus Christ the Son, and have absolutely, positively no hope? None. Now Paul said, those outside a spiritual relationship with the Lord, they're without hope. And he said, they are without God in this world. You do not want to stand before the Lord on the day of judgment and to hear him say to you, depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire. I cannot think of anything more disheartening than to hear those words. And that's what Jesus will say to those who are not living for him or who have not lived for him. Now the beauty of Christianity, the beauty of living for the Lord is reflected in the fact that when Jesus comes and he sits upon that throne, he will say to those who are on the right hand, come, you blessed of my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. To know that everything we live for, work for, here on planet earth, it paid off. You know, there are some things we can do in this life and they pay huge dividends, don't they? A life of sin, there are some wages associated with it. The problem is you don't want the payment. Paul said the wages of sin is death, eternal separation from Almighty God. The gift of God, eternal life in Christ Jesus. So, weigh your soul in the balances and ask yourself, where will I be in eternity? Ask yourself that. All of us need to ask ourselves, where will we be in eternity? Many, many years ago, Jesus Christ stood before Pontius Pilate. And Pilate asked the question, 
What then shall I do with Jesus, who is called the Christ? What you do with Jesus today will impact what he does with you tomorrow. That is in eternity. So I ask you, what will Jesus do with you? If you're not a child of God tonight, I would plead with you, do not leave this assembly without being baptized into Jesus Christ. Why do you need to be baptized into Christ? Because when you're baptized into Christ, you become a saved person. That's what Jesus said in Mark 16, 16. And I'm not saying that baptism alone will save you. I'm saying that baptism will save you if it is preceded by faith in Jesus Christ, John 8, 21. If it is preceded by repentance from sin, Acts 2, 38. If it is preceded by your confession that Jesus is the Son of God, John 8, verse 37, or rather Acts chapter 8, verse 37. If you do that, then the Bible assures you that you will become one of the saved, one of the redeemed. Maybe you're here tonight and you're not faithful to the cause of Christ. Maybe you haven't surrendered all to the Lord. If you haven't surrendered all to the Lord, then you don't have any security. My plea to you, come home. John said in the long ago, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Would you come as we stand and sing?